I'm going to be reading from the book of Revelation, and we've been going through this series. I'm going to read this, and then I'll seat us. Revelations 2, uh, 12 through 17. And this is the word of the Lord. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum write, The words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. This is the word of the Lord. You can be seated. Uh, when I was in seminary, I uh, participated, and I'm going to date myself a little bit, uh, in this 60-day exercise uh, workout. Uh, it was called uh, Insanity. I don't know if you guys remember it. It's Sean T. Uh, it probably came out on DVD and VHS uh, if you were back then and, you know, if you were around then. Uh, but I wanted to be healthy. Right? I wanted to be healthy, and don't we all want to be healthy? And so uh, I started doing this workout with my roommates, those three of us. We're like, all right, let's do this. Yeah, it's like five days a week. We can do this. And this program uh, is part of what's called a HIT program. So HIT is high-intensity interval training. Uh, in other words, you want to just throw up. <laughs> like when you do this program, it's like, all right, I'm going to pump my heart rate this high, and then I'm going to like rest. I'm going to go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Uh, but it's very effective. Like, if you've ever done that, then high-intensity workouts, like, it's very effective, right? It just sucks to be a part in doing that. Uh, and so we went through one month of that, uh, my roommates and I, and we got really strong. Like, when we started off, uh, we could do, like, 10 push-ups. I feel like I could do, like, 15. But after that one month, we were, like, doing, like, 50 push-ups. Like, oh, man, we got, like, strong, and we were proud of ourselves. But then that second month, something happened. Uh, we stopped working out slowly by slowly. Uh, the workouts got longer. They were no longer 60 minutes. They turned into 90 minutes. Uh, we started getting sick, some of us. Class started piling up. Uh, and we, we said, okay, let's just kind of stop this one workout. And so we all said, all right, let's, I want to join you, so let's stop that. But it ended up kind of building and building and building. And we made one compromise after the ex next, after the next, after the next. And uh, today, I want to just talk about compromise because I think compromise... Uh, uh, is such a dangerous thing. Maybe for some of you, you've uh, made a New Year's resolution, but already you've compromised and you've already kind of given up. Statistically, by January, end of January, I think 80% of people, they give up. They've compromised and it's like, all right, whether it's a health goal or financial goal, they've kind of given up because one compromise leads to the next, right? And I think when it comes to uh, spiritual matters, compromise is even more dangerous because we can't see it with our eyes. And it's so deceiving and so sneaky. And the question I want to ask you today as we're listening in, as we're tuning in online, is are you compromising your faith? Or maybe a better question is where are you compromising your faith? 
Because this is exactly what's happening to the church of Pergamum. You see, Jesus is giving them a warning. He's saying, hey, you have compromise, and this little compromise actually kind of trickled down and led to a big sin. And in fact, it led many of them to apostasy, which is they just stopped believing. And Jesus gives this warning to this church, and he gives this warning to us today, that tiny little compromises can not only impact your faith, but also the faith of those around you. And so today there's three points kind of to organize uh, the passage. The first is the commendation, the second is the compromise, and the third is the challenge. So if you're taking notes, you can write these three things down, uh, commendation, compromise, and challenge. So the first one is the commendation. Um, in the book of Revelation, uh, I'm going to give a little bit of background because uh, if you're like me, you have like ADHD and you're like, okay, what the heck is going on? He just read it and I just already forgot about it. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background. Uh, John, the apostle John wrote the book of Revelation, but he uh, got the word from Jesus. So John was um, uh, the only disciple that wasn't brutally murdered. Uh, all the other disciples were brutally murdered, but John, uh, he was boiled alive but he didn't die, uh, and instead he got uh, exiled to this island called Patmos. Uh, and John was the closest disciple to Jesus, and I believe this is because um, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he told John, hey, look after Mary, my mother. And you don't really do that uh, unless you're really close to that person. Like if you're on your deathbed and you're asking your friend to look after your mom, like they're going to be somebody who is really close to you, right? Uh, but on this island, uh, you know, Jesus speaks to John, and he only does this a couple times in the New Testament, one to Paul and now to John. And he says in verse 12, this is what he says, to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Right, what's that angel and what's that two-edged sword? I'll tell you what it is. The angel is to the leaders and to the churches, and the two-edged sword is the judgment it's a symbol of judgment in the Old Testament, a sword that's double-edged. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, I'm going to judge the church. And he actually has two parts to the judgment. One is a commendation. Hey, you did some good things. And the second one is a critique. So a commendation and a critique. And the commendation is this. That's our first point is you have kept the faith, church. You have kept the faith. You're living in a difficult place, and yet you have kept the faith. The city of Pergamum... Uh, was on this big hill, a thousand feet up. It was a very safe place. It was a wealthy place. And it was safe because you can kind of look all around the, the valleys where people are. So if any enemies were going to attack them, they can see them. Uh, it was so safe that all the wealthy people lived up there. Uh, they stored billions and dollars of gold up there. Uh, and all kind of the, the, the poor folk kind of lived in the valleys because it was not as safe. And so all the people of Pergamum were up there. Uh, it was also a uh, polytheistic society, meaning they had multiple gods, the god of uh, Caesar, the god of Zeus, Dionysus, and whatnot. Uh, it was a uh, party city, if you will. Like, it was like the Las Vegas. Like, the who's who, they were at Pergamum because this was happening, you're wealthy. Uh, you know, the, the, the poor folk, they wouldn't go up there unless there was like some sort of event. And so imagine that this is Pergamum, and it's within this place that uh, the church existed. And what Jesus says is, this, this is a bad place. This is a bad place uh, because the unholy trinity, right, sex, money, power, it exists here. It's so tempting. And yet it's in this context that we find the church of Pergamum. 
And Jesus has an opinion about this church. Jesus says, hey, you're in a bad place, but you kept the faith. So that's the commendation. And he says in verse 13, I know where you dwell. And he calls this place Satan's throne, right? That's a, that's a bad place. Uh, and then he says, but yet you hold fast my name. You did not deny my faith. Even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan's throne dwells. Satan dwells. Now, Antipas... So he uses kind of that example. Antipas was a Christian and he died. And the way that he died was he was boiled alive inside of a copper bowl uh, over a fire. So it's a pretty gruesome death. And now this isn't mentioned in the Bible. This is history, not Bible. Uh, But what he's saying is, hey, Pergamum, you witnessed this and yet you kept the faith. Like this was crazy and yet you kept the faith. Uh, It was such a difficult place and they kept the faith. And when we read this passage, and the reason I'm describing Pergamum and all these details is because what I want you to do is not think of this place as this ancient city, but actually apply this to us today. And what I mean is when Jesus says, hey, you're living in a difficult place, yet you kept the faith, what he's saying is, hey, new life, I want to commend you. You're living in a difficult place, and yet you kept the faith. Or wherever you go to church, hey, your church, it's in a difficult, difficult place, and yet you kept the faith. And I want to commend you, because what Jesus is saying is, I know it's difficult to live in this area where there's so much temptation with wealth, with power, uh, with comfort, and yet you kept the faith. And so Jesus commends the church, and I believe he's commending us for those that are continuing to keep the faith. But then he gives a criticism He gives a criticism. He says, although some kept their faith, like Antipas, there were others that compromised it. And that's our second point, the compromise. You see, there were Christians in the church that compromised their faith. And compromise is actually not used in the Bible at all. I tried looking it up, looked at the commentaries. It's not used at all. Uh, But a simple definition, if you want to know what a biblical definition of compromise is, it's putting any idols before Jesus. And if you want a simple definition of idols, it's putting anything before Jesus. I try to distill it down. So it's the idol of money, the idol of power, the idol of success, the idol of sex, whatever it is, your work, your possessions, your friends. It's compromising for the sake of these things instead of Jesus. And that is compromising your faith. And what verse 14 says is when you do these things, Uh, It puts a stumbling block in your faith. Uh, I play uh, Mario Kart with my son, uh, Henry, and, um, you know, in Mario Kart, there's like this banana peel. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's kind of useless, but then sometimes you kind of stumble upon it. Like, what I imagine is, like, when we do these things, it's like you're going on that Mario Kart, and you kind of stumble, and you can, like, lose the race because of this. That's what I imagine, like, happening. Hey, doing these things, compromising, actually can cause you to stumble in a tremendous way. And that is the church of Pergamum. See, they were Christians, but what ended up happening is they were mixed into these other things. They were mixing other things into the Christian faith because spiritual compromise, what it is, is actually just including other gods with Jesus, right? The God of work, the God of success, whatever it is. And uh, John gives these specific examples, though. It says in verse 14, I have a few things against you, Uh, You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel. And then 15 says, so also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. 
Uh, the teaching of Balaam, uh, just really quickly, it's from Numbers 22 and 25. You can read it. Uh, but essentially, Balaam was a wicked prophet. Uh, and the, the king of Moab, uh, Balak, uh, he wanted uh, Balaam to, uh, to cause the Israelites to stumble. And uh, so Balaam tries, but he's unsuccessful. Uh, and essentially what he does is he doesn't, what he does to get them to stumble eventually was to just to create an environment where they will stumble. Hey, they'll do it to themselves. And so they, he just kind of provided these Moabite women and they committed sexual immorality. He provided these gods, so they ate the food of idols. Uh, and so really the teaching of Balaam is one of compromise, being okay with compromising. Uh, the teaching of the Nicolaitans really is, uh, in short, they were a sex cult. They were all about indulgences. Uh, it literally means to be a Nicolaitan, uh, let us eat. And so they were all about uh, living a life of indulgence, right? You do you, your best life now. Right? Make these compromises. Uh, you can still be a Christian and you can do these things. So the Church of Program, they're holding on to these teachings along with their faith. And Balaam and the Nicolaitans are saying, hey, it's okay. It's okay to compromise. And the sexual immorality mentioned here, yes, it might be a physical sexual immorality, but I believe it's actually a spiritual immorality, meaning they were holding on to all these other gods along with the Christian God. You know, one of the biggest idols, it's not mentioned here, uh, that they're probably following is uh, the Roman cult, uh, meaning they were probably worshiping Caesar, uh, at the time, he was the king. But not only that, he was considered uh, the Lord. He was considered a god. And you didn't need to do much to worship him. You just had to say, all hail Caesar. You are the Lord. You are king. Uh, but there was a cost if you didn't do these things. If you didn't do these things, you wouldn't get invited to these dinners, to these parties. And at these parties, you actually got to know people and you kind of went up in the ranks and you got uh, you know, financial incentives and whatnot. Uh, imagine this, let's say you, uh, your boss had a dinner party and he invited all these people at your workplace. But what you ended up noticing was people that went to these parties, they got that promotion. They got that raise. Why? Because they started meeting other people, other higher-ups. They got more connections. And that's exactly what's happening. Like, if you didn't do these things, you wouldn't get the same opportunities. And they justified it, the church program, because, hey, what's the big deal? Like, I'm just kind of following along with these things. Like, what is the big deal? And, but what ends up happening, what happened to them, was that all these little compromises had a cumulative effect kind of like Walter White in Breaking Bad, right? He's like the high school chemistry teacher. And then like at the end of the episodes and seasons, it's like he becomes this like crazy drug lord. And in the beginning, he's like, I, you know, I don't know. I'm just doing this just to provide for my family. I'm not going to kill anybody. But at the end, he's like very comfortable living this dark life. And that is the warning that Jesus gives to the church of Pergamum. That all these little compromises, they're not okay and it's deceiving you because all these little things have a cumulative effect. And for many, the effect is that they stop believing in him. You know, many years ago, there was this company called Enron. Some of you guys are familiar. Uh, I looked it up as 2001. 2001, and they folded. And if you don't know what Enron is, it doesn't matter. They're an energy company. What you need to know is uh, they folded because the CEOs and those kind of higher-ups, they were corrupt. And this company was about the size of Google at the time. So imagine just overnight Google folded. They folded. 
And it's because of these higher up, these CEOs. Uh, they, uh, you know, they, they said, hey, we're going to cook the books, and we're going to just say, hey, we're doing great, but we're not doing great. And they know that this is going to impact just thousands and thousands of lives, and yet they're okay doing this. Uh, there's a professor by the name of Dan O'Reilly who wanted to know, hey, how do people kind of get to this place where they're okay uh, committing these types of moral failures? It's not like they wake up one day and just, hey, I'm going to kill somebody. Hey, I'm going to just uh, cook the books. Right? What ends up happening in his studies is people just make these small compromises little by little. And so it connected all these studies. And the conclusion was that most people, they're okay making tiny compromises all the time, as long as it's tiny. Right? You can drive over the speed limit, right? five miles, 10 miles, I don't know about 15, I don't know about 20, but you can make these little compromises. And his study concluded that, one, like this has a cumulative effect to where it kind of normalizes that compromise. But the second one that was interesting is if those around you that you trust to make a compromise, it's actually going to say, okay, I could do this too. And so the stumbling block mentioned here is not only a stumbling block for yourself, but for those around you. Do you get that? It's stumbling those around you as well as yourself. And this happens little by little by little by little. And it's so deceiving. The church of Smyrna, as uh, Pastor Eric mentioned, they were persecuted, right? Satan tried to uh, bring them down by persecuting them. But the church of Pergamum, he tries to bring them down through compromise. And it's so deceiving. And I think C.S. Lewis kind of quotes it the best. He says, indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. It's a slow compromise. And I'm sure if you're a Christian here, you've had friends, you have friends that no longer believe. Maybe they were the strongest Christians. They were on fire, praying the loudest, convicting you. But what ended up happening is they probably made one compromise after the next, after the next and they no longer believe. And that is the warning that Jesus gives to the church. That's the warning that he gives to you and me. And so the question is, where are you compromising your faith? Where are you compromising your faith? What are those little decisions that you're making that are compromising your faith and the faith of those around you? And I'm sure there's so many areas, but a couple areas that I could think of is maybe it's in your work. I feel like in your workplace, you're almost compelled to compromise, right? To kind of get ahead, right? To kind of punch in your resume into like ChatGBT to like polish it up and just make it look all good, right? Just because everyone else is doing it. Or, or maybe it's something as simple as compromising in prayer. You're not praying at work. And you're thinking, hey, what if I offend them? It's going to slow down this meeting. Uh, what, you know, what if, I don't know what's going to happen. Or maybe they're going to judge me and I'm not going to get that promotion. And you're making these little compromises. Thinking, hey, it's not a big deal. I'm still a Christian. But what ends up happening is that compromise has a cumulative effect. Or maybe if you're a, a youth parent here, I didn't think of this, but I was like, oh, yeah, this will be difficult. For youth kids that are kind of in the elite sports, uh, they play on Sundays but if they come to church on Sundays and they miss the game, they get less game time. And it's kind of this like catch-22, like, hey, I want to go to church, but then like I'm going to get less game time. What's the point of like traveling all the way to like Canada to do all these sports? They travel so far. And it's this tension that you hold. And I'm not saying I know the answer, but what I'm saying is, are you compromising at the area? Are you compromising? I'll give you an example of myself where I've compromised, uh, and it's with my family. So... Um, 
in my family, we do uh, what's called family worship. So we did it on Mondays. Uh, and I like to have a lot of fun because I want my kids to have a positive experience of church and family worship. Uh, and so what I did is I'm like, hey, we have family worship Sunday nights. I have three kids, a uh, 10-month-year-old, 8-year-old, and a 10-year-old. Crazy. Uh, and so I said, okay, what does this look like? I said, like, all right, guys, grab all the candy, all the food that you want. Like, it's family worship time. Bring it over. And so they're like sitting in a circle, and I try to just go through like a very simple song, very awkward. Uh, we go through like the Jesus storybook Bible. Uh, and then there's like a Q&A question time. Like, hey, what do you think is happening right here? Like, what is uh, Jesus, you know, saying? Uh, my 10-month-year-old, you know, nothing, <laughs> just, just looking out. Uh, and then my, but my kids ask actually pretty good questions. Uh, they're like, oh, you know, why does this happen? Why is there like this pain? That doesn't seem very nice. And then they ask kind of ridiculous questions. Like my daughter was like, hey, so what's uh, Jesus's Chinese zodiac symbol? I was like, ah, dove? I was like, I don't know what it is. But we stopped doing it. And, you know, they had a lot of fun, but what ended up happening was I just got tired. I was like, okay, is this doing anything? Like, I feel like they're not listening. And I'm like, oh, I'm so tired. I just want to go to sleep. I just want, oh, man, I want to just have my own, I want to have me time. Right, parents, you know, when the kids go down, it's me time. It's like the time when you energize. And so I compromised and compromised and compromised, and we haven't done it for a while. And I was convicted when I was reading this passage because uh, the message that I heard, and maybe this is the message for you, is, hey, don't be surprised if one day your kids stop believing because you compromise in all these little things. Like, don't be surprised when they get older and they don't value worship. Because compromising doesn't just mean just you know, doing these things. It's, it's not doing these things that have an effect. And so I'm not saying that this is everything, but that's the conviction that I receive. Hey, I need to continue to do these things because there's this eternal effect that happens. And the question I want to ask you is, where are you compromising in your life? Where are you compromising in your workplace, in your family, wherever it is? Where are you compromising? Because Jesus gives a warning, and that's our final point, the warning. Jesus warns Pergamum that these compromises, they lead to apostasy. And that same warning applies to our church. And it's this. What happened to Pergamum can happen to us. What happened to Pergamum can happen to you, can happen to me. Because if you look right now and today where the church of Pergamum is, it doesn't exist. In fact, it's actually in Turkey. And do you know how many Christians there are in Turkey? There's 85 million people, and there's 0.001% Christians. It's a little under 100,000. You see, what was once a strong foothold of Christianity, they were a mission-sending center. The church began in Jerusalem, and they grew. They went to Ephesus, Smyrna. They went to Pergamum. They were a big church that existed in a dark city. And yet today, they don't exist. They don't exist. And that is the warning that Jesus gives you and me. Hey, our faith, it might look pretty good right now. Looks pretty good. We come to church on Sunday. We serve. We give. We do all these things. But a little bit of compromise can tear all that down. can tear your families down. And you can lead, it could lead to apostasy. But he also gives a solution gives a solution and some practical steps. So in verse 16, he says, repent. 
See, repentance, there's action, but it actually begins with the mind. It begins with the mind, and it's, and it's stop believing that compromising is okay and submitting to Jesus, and this requires humility. See, repent and hold on to his name. That's what it says. Repent and hold on to his name. That's the solution. In verse 13, what did Antipas do? He held on to Jesus' name. And what that means for you and that means for me practically is being bold and courageous, holding on to our convictions and our faith, praying in our workplaces, having that devotional time, worshiping God, making some sacrifices to hold on to his name, reading scripture, whatever it is. And what it says is when you do these things, these are the ones who conquer. In verse 17, to the one who conquers, all these things will be given to you. You see, if it was up to us, we would fail every time. We would compromise every time. And so that's why we got to hold on to the one who didn't compromise. And his name is Jesus, who had every opportunity to do so, who could have compromised and stepped away from the cross, and yet he didn't, and he died for us. He died for you and me. And when we hold on to him, that's when we have victory. And what it says is he'll give you a few things in verse 17. To the one who conquers, I'll give you hidden manna, a white stone with a new name on it. This new name, it was given to uh, those that uh, converted. And really, uh, they're given a new name because uh, what they're saying is, hey, you're not defined by the things of your past, but what Jesus has done for you, your future, this is what you're defined by. And you're given this white stone. And the white stone was given to uh, victors of gladiatorial games. And it was a pass for them to get into a banquet feast. And so what Jesus is saying is, hey, follow me. Hold on to my name. And I will give you a new name. It will be written on this white stone. And you will you know, gain entry into the kingdom of God. Not through your works, but by my works. But what he gives to us today while we're here is this hidden manna. And this is an uh, allusion to the Old Testament, the manna that was given to uh, the Israelites in Exodus. And what he's saying is, hey, if you follow me, if you hold on to my name, I know it's going to be tough. I know you might not get that raise and you're going to feel uncomfortable. Uh, you might not get that position. What he's saying with I'm going to give you hidden manna is I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to take care of you. You see, what Jesus is really asking the church, what he's asking you and me is, how much do you love me? Because if you love me, all these things, they're going to take a backseat. All these things that you hold on to, money, power, you're trying to hold on to both things, me as well as all these things, they got to take a backseat because otherwise it becomes a stumbling block for you and it becomes a stumbling block for others. You know, if you're here and you're not a believer and you're just kind of tuning in or you're joining us, I'm so uh, thankful that you're here. Uh, you know, and I want to challenge you kind of with the next step. If you're here, it's because you're searching for something. You know there is more to life than just making a good paycheck, kind of raising a good family. There is more to life than this. And so I want to challenge you with a couple things. One is to keep coming. The second one is to try the Alpha class. It is specifically designed for a conversation for those that don't believe, that those that doubt on Wednesdays. Please, please, I implore you to try. Uh, but for those that are Christians and call themselves Christians, uh, I want to urge you not to compromise and to have a bigger picture of who Jesus is. And to think of, okay, what are the ways that I can not compromise in my workplace and my families? Because here's the thing. This is kind of a sad story. This is the sad story of this passage, and it's that compromise won. 
And the great myth is that it can't happen to us unless we stay close to Jesus. Amen? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, God, I just thank you for uh, this word and this tough passage, Lord Father. I pray uh, that we can be a church, that we could be Christ followers that don't compromise, that hold on to your name, Lord God, like Antipas did, Lord Father. I pray, Lord God, that you can challenge our church and its members, that you can challenge me to find out ways and to convict me of where I'm compromising, Lord God, and to show us that these have eternal effects, Lord Father God. And so we pray, Lord Father, as we respond in worship and with prayer, that you reveal these things unto our hearts, Lord God. Convict us. We thank you for being a good God, Lord. We pray in your son's name. Amen.